Hey everybody, welcome back to Spear Factor. Today our special guest is Mr. Ted Hardy. He is from Immersion Freediving and a PFI instructor, a freediving badass, and a former American champion. Um, Ted has come here today to share his knowledge with you guys uh, and enlighten us on some of the myths of freediving and some of the better techniques to practice, as well as the 28-day freediving transformation program. And I'm doing that right now, and I'm going to basically interview Ted today. We're going to talk about a bunch of really good things as far as safety goes, and then or I'm going to interview him later on where we're going to talk about the 28-day transformation once I'm done with it to try to go over the changes that I've seen or some uh, questions that I had on it. And also, um, Ted has a website, freedivingsafety.com, where he has courses. Some of them are for free, and they're really good, um, that you can go on there and sign up. And he actually gave us, uh, Spirit Factor listeners, 15% off if you put in the promo code SPEARFACTOR. And that kind of leads us into our sponsors. Once again, the year has been amazing, and I'd like to take time to thank all of our sponsors to make the show possible. Picasso Cameras, uh, we have a 50% discount if you go to spearfactor.com and click on the link. It'll take you there, and you can put in the promo code that's there for the uh, discount. And next, we have Chimera Spearfishing, inventors of the side slip. Another cool uh, invention to add to your arsenal in spearfishing. Uh, you get 5% off there if you put in promo code SPEARFACTOR at checkout. And then Hot Rod Spear Guns, you get 10% uh, off if you put SPEARFACTOR in at checkout as well. And again, thank everyone for the support this year, including the boys at One Drop Spearfishing. Also wanted to thank uh, the Patreons of SPEARFACTOR, Isaac from Noob Spiro, and also Dan Walsh who was a guest on the show. You guys are uh, awesome and I appreciate the support. And again, thanks to everybody out there, the listeners, uh, supporters, just all you guys really appreciate it. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was pretty awesome, pretty informative. And uh, there's going to be a part two, so I can't wait for that. All right, take care and have a great holiday. You shouldn't have to fly. I mean, I have students fly from other countries, fly from all over the place. You know, most of them from out of state. You shouldn't have to do that to learn to free dive. I mean, when I learned, when I wanted to learn, it was you flew to wherever the hell Kurt Kroc was. That was your only option. Like, that was it, right? And then Martin came along, and then it was like you fly to those two people. You shouldn't have to fly across the country or to another country just to learn to not kill yourself. Right. Well, okay, so I'll get started. Uh, all right, sorry. You've been listening to the uh, amazing Ted Hardy, uh, freedive champion, USA freedive champion. Um, we're discussing freediving and spearfishing and myths, and basically safety is a big thing today. And we're going to talk about all those things, and we're so lucky to have him because he is a wealth of knowledge. And he, the best thing about him is that he is more than, more than uh, fired up to, to share it with you. So 
Here we go. All right. So welcome to the show, Ted. All right. Well, thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here. Oh, thank you uh, for joining us. And thank you for um, uh, agreeing to be on the show and accepting my offer. And then uh, thank you for pointing me in the uh, 28-day freediving transformation class as well. Uh, enjoying that sort of uh, <laughs> the last four days. So thank you. Yes, uh, it's, it's, uh, I should probably work on my sales pitch, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not a lot of fun. I mean, it's it like, you know, I actually, I went through it myself probably. I mean, I, I did all the stuff in it years ago when I was really serious into training, but then I did a, a private group and I had a bunch of people go through it and I went through it with them and I'm like, good Lord, this stuff is awful. I can't believe I think people do this stuff, but you know, but it, you know, it, it, it works, but it's not super comfortable. Well, the thing that I like about it is you can do it anywhere. It's all dry training and um, it's very simple things. It's yeah. nothing, it's not rocket science, um, but it keeps you on a regiment. And then the Facebook group is awesome too. Yeah. Um, so let's get into free diving safety. So as I mentioned before uh, I introduced you, we had a death. Um, well, we had a death last week, which is really unfortunate. Um, brain aneurysm is what I was told. I'm not sure. Um, and that's terrible. And then we had Ryan Huff's tra uh, tragedy last year, um, opening day of lobster season, and his fund, which is trying to gain uh, money and resources to be able to supply freediving classes to uh, people that usually probably couldn't afford it and help save lives. So that kind of leads us to safety. And I know from seeing your website, which is your new website. Uh, freedivingsafety.com. Uh, well, seeing the website and then also doing the course and your big thing is safety, safety, safety. And you've even rigged up your course so that people have to, um, you know, there's a test at the end of it. You have to pay attention to safety. Uh, yeah. And I can only imagine the amount of things that you've seen, read, and heard with all your years of experience, especially in this sport. So would you mind kind of give us an overview of uh, our generalization of basic beginner safety for freediving, spearfishing? Yeah, so I would say, you know, it really, I mean, there's a lot of different pieces to it, but I would say I'll start with maybe probably the two most important, mainly the, the one most important. Um, the most important thing is that you are, you know, not, not diving alone, but not diving alone. I mean, that, that means a lot of things, right? But in essence, we really want to be diving with the buddy. But again, so what does a, a buddy mean? Right. I mean, like your typical spearfishing trip, like you go out in the boat, right? You go to the super secret spot, you toss the anchor overboard and before the anchor, it's the bottom, right? You know, first in first fish. Well, this guy goes that way. This guy goes that way. This guy goes that way. This guy goes, you, know, you got four different people that to beat each other. So they're, yeah, we're diving in a buddy team, right? We got four buddies, right? We're all, you know, we're all super safe, right? So it's not just that you have someone, you know, in the water with you the same day that with you are, it's just that what are the two of you doing? And so the most important thing is that you're diving in a, tight team so that when you hit the surface there is someone actually right there you know not 50 feet away underwater trying to shoot a you know a hogfish or whatever but it's actually at the surface that is close enough to grab you so that if you were to have a blackout they can fix it and that person knows what to do if you have a blackout right so the most important thing is that you've got someone in the area that is trained and then is gonna you can rely on them being there when you hit the surface uh, that simple concept, right, 
of you know, direct supervision is unfortunately not well followed. And that's really the reason we have the fatalities in the sport. I have never heard of a fatality in the sport that wouldn't have been prevented if that simple concept was, was followed. Um, but the issue is there's all sorts of reasons and excuses and why people don't uh, want to do that. Uh, so I'll bring up really quickly, Jeremy Gamble, a good friend of mine, owner of Spearing Magazine. The way he explains it is when you come on his boat, uh, he says, look, here's the deal. We're diving in tight teams. When I hit the surface, you have to be there. If you are not there when I surface because you saw some fish and you're trying to shoot a bigger fish than me and outshoot me on my boat, he goes, you're going to be immediately put on the boat and I'm never going to invite you out again. It's that simple. He's like, that's the epitome of selfish behavior. If, you, if, you're, if shooting a fish is more important than you saving my life and my safety, then I'll never die with you again. So that's kind of the, the main thing. But, um, you know, it's, it's difficult to convince people who have been not doing that for 20 years to, to change. Well, it's, you know, one thing I always say, too, it's like nobody wakes up uh, that day and say, I'm going to black out today, you know. And, and you never know that when, I mean, my advanced instructor, uh, Farron, we were doing, he was doing two minute hangs or whatever, a hundred feet. And he came up and it was just like, we would train three days a week or, you know, for me, two days a week and then spearfish Saturday and Sunday. Uh, and, and he would train three days a week and no big deal. And then one day it was random. He came up and had an LMC and, um, he, you know, he looked back, he was trying to figure out what had caused it. And uh, still, I don't think he still knows, but it just goes to show you, you just never know. And we were right there. We were, you know, on a float and all that. So uh, that always kind of stuck with me um, because for a long time, I just dove by myself when I was younger. Yeah. Same thing, because there was nobody around to really dive. And so I would just go and, you know, it's kind of, it is, it's diving by yourself. I know I hear all the arguments. People are like, it's, uh, it's, it's nicer to dive by yourself. It's kind of euphoric. It's meditating. It's all these things. I understand a hundred percent. And I totally agree that yes, it is all those things. However, you know, you just know that you're rolling the dice. You just, it is what it is. And if you're okay with that, Fine, but you might be okay with that, but your parents, your kids, your wife may not be okay with that. You know what I mean? Or the so, people that you convince to adopt that behavior, right? Might not. Right. Right. That's the other thing, right? Um, so going back to what you said about the instructor, like, well, you know, he didn't know what caused it. So, you know, that's the thing is that you don't, you don't know. There's so many variables, right? I mean, so like... In spearfishing, so what I explain to my students is like, you know, as a competitive diver, what I'm doing is so well known. Like if I'm doing a 200 foot dive, right? Yeah, my dad sounds crazy. But if I do a 200 foot dive, I know within five seconds how long that dive is going to take me. I mean, there's no question about how long that dive is going to take me. So within five seconds, I know. And if I did a 200 foot dive one day, that means the day before I did a 190 foot dive. And the day before that, I did 185 foot dive. So I'm making these small, you know, changes, and I'm adding two, three seconds every day. Right? Spearfishing, good lord, it's just like it's just how many variables are they? Right? How deep are you diving? Well, I don't know. Right? It depends where the fish is. Well, how long? What's your, how long's the dive? Well, it depends on if I see the fish in the beginning or the end. And sometimes, you know, it might not. 
it might not want to come to the surface with me, so I might, might take a lot longer, right? Well, what's the current going to be like? How much, you know, how much time are you spending in between dives? You know, are you hydrated? Are you hungover? I mean, there's all these variables uh, that happen to spear fishermen, and you know, this idea of, you know, that's why you can't predict it. So there's a video, and I'll um, hopefully. Uh, I can give you the link and you can put it in the show notes, but it's the, it's a video you saw on the, the freediving safety site. I think it's the most powerful kind of image that I have. It's a video of a spear fisherman. The spear fisherman has 25 years of experience. Uh, he typically dives by himself or if there's someone on the boat, like, you know, they're not paying attention to each other. They're on the boat together, but there's no direct supervision. That's typically the way he dives. Uh, he was diving. He was taking, he was with uh, Ren Chapman from Evolve Freediving. He was filming. Uh, he was on a 50 foot dive, which is ex totally normal for him. That's the depth he typically always dives at. He made seven dives on this exact same spot. And then on the eighth one, he went down, shot a fish, comes up to the surface and blacks out 10 feet from the surface. And in the video, you can clearly see he had no idea anything's coming. He's like kicking, 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 kicking a little slower, slower stops kicking, he blacks out, and you can tell someone has a black on the water because they release that air. That's the number one sign of someone having a blackout. The bubbles come out, and because he was overweighted, sink down to the bottom, right? So luckily, Rin was there, right? And was able to grab him and fix it because he knew what was going on. And when that guy was on the boat, like, it was really, he's like, wow, wait a minute. So if you think about it, if he's done 25 years of diving, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that person's made 50,000 individual free dives. I make 60 in a class, that's just one day, right? So let's put a number on it. Let's say he's done 50,000 individual free dives over his 25 years peer fishing career. He is, he was, you know, never had a problem. I don't push myself, you know, all that sort of stuff, right? So he had one problem out of 50,000 dives. One out of 50,000 went sideways. If that one dive had happened on any of the 499,999 other dives that he had done, he'd be dead. He didn't pay attention to that stuff, right? So the only reason that guy's alive is those two things intersect. You know, he had a problem and he happened to be a free diving instructor who was watching him. Uh, and so, you know, afterwards, uh, he became a big, loud, vocal component of free diving safety, right? Because he's like, yeah, all right. So it's just, it's, 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 it, you know, it, it's hard to convince people. But I think that video is great because it's just that you, you, you watch it and it's kind of like, Ooh. Well, I kind of like what you're doing too, where it's, uh, you know, you, you don't have to be a free dive level instructor or a free dive, even a, you know, you just got to know the basics. Just being there next to the person is better than nothing. And, yeah. and you just got to know a couple of basics to be able to effectively rescue someone. And that yeah. right there is most of it. Um, that's yeah, the important stuff. Yeah, it's actually really simple. I mean, as a dive instructor, I used to work on a dive boat, right? And I would, you know, I mean, I've lost count of how many snorkelers I've had to rescue that were drowning. And let me tell you, that's hard to rescue a drowning snorkeler, right? Because they want to kill me the entire process, right? They're not helpful in any way. And then I switch to free dive and I'm like, they're not going to punch me. I put them on their back and they just sit there and I take their mask off and I blow, oh, this is, like really simple right so it is way easier is way easier um 
So yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, I mean, there was a, you know, I think the, you know, the guy, there was a guy that the spear fisherman that saved someone's life just from going through that safety course, right? He just, he wasn't a certified diver. He just watched the videos. He knew what the sign was, was able to do something just from, you know, watching some videos. Yeah. That was my friend, John. I think we talked about that from cast and spear. Yeah. Yeah. Dive in the, um, the oil rigs and our other friend, um, uh, dove down, shot a sheep's head and um shot she said and i think it got tangled or something decided to kind of go back like go back down and untangle it real quick and came up and like we said just kind of overstayed his welcome but you don't really know it by five or ten seconds but then you're kicking for those five and ten seconds and it kind of adds up and then and he's a he's a pretty good diver too and he popped up uh and uh yeah blacked out didn't even know he blacked out but everybody john was there it was matthew uh hung yeah, pretty wild. So tell us about the website, though, the freediving um, safety website. So it's uh, basically, you know, it's a free online course that covers every single thing that you would learn if you came to, you know, in my house and took a freediving class with me with regards to safety, right? So it's, you know, what's a loss of motor control? What's a blackout? you know, the myth of I don't push myself. If someone has a loss of motor control, what the heck do you do? You slap them, you shake them. Someone has a blackout. What do you do? How do you fix it? How do you tell if you're wearing too much weight? So basically everything with regards to safety is what's going to be covered in that program. Um, And it's extremely thorough. It's not like if you know me, I tend to to do things in excess. Uh, So it's a very, very thorough program. Um, And the, the reason that I, that I, that I made it was actually, it was funny. So the, 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 the whole thing, the way it came about is I was at the blue wild, uh, which is the, the free diving spear fishing trade show in Fort Lauderdale. And it was halfway through the show. And I was out with a good friend of mine, Chris Bustad, who's one of the head honchos at performance free diving, SDI TDI. And, you know, he was, we was late. We'd been having some cocktails for sure. And he was like, so what's your, what's your goal for emerging free diving this year? And normally, if anyone asks you that question, like, you get ready, I'm going to be like, oh, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to add this to the class, you know, all these things that I'm going to do. And, like, there's a like, God, I wish I asked the guy that question. And he's like, well, what are your goals for this year? And I was thinking, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't have any. The classes sell out. I'm doing all this stuff. Like, I don't I, – I, I, I was, like, kind of, like, depressed. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. And he's like, well, what do, you, what, what do you want? And I said, I just want the spear fishermen to stop killing themselves, right? I'm like, it's so frustrating. Like, you, you know, you do all these things, and me and all the instructors, we do all this stuff, and then, like, it just, like, doesn't, like, I mean, it makes an impact. It does over the past 10 years we have. But, I mean, like, it's, that's, what, that's what I want, right? So then the next day, um, I do, I've done a presentation at that trade show for the past probably six seven years and i always sherry has me the same thing always on safety for you know for for spear finishing and so she had me do this presentation and she said i want you and she goes but you get 10 minutes like 10 minutes i can't do anything in 10 minutes like i normally have an hour and i'm kind of upset and argue with her i'm like oh wait i should just like you know if i get 10 minutes i should be happy to have 10 minutes all right fine i'll make it work 10 minutes i'm like well i can do it i can at least like show videos right she goes no no videos no present who is this sherry day sherry, sherry day and i'm like what? yeah i can't do anything like i gotta convince them to pay attention and a video of a spirit vision blacking out will so i'm just a little frustrated and i finally just said okay you know all right thank you i, I appreciate the 10 minutes I'll, I'll do it so i show up to the thing um 
And I get there like 10 minutes early and I'm backstage, you know, kind of pacing around, get, go through my presentation, you know, figuring out, you know, it was my intro, my main points and here's how I'm leading, whatever. And so she's up there talking and I'm not paying any attention to her because I'm just trying to go through my notes. And um, I finally come out on stage and she's talking about someone and, you know, I'm just not really paying attention. And I kind of like tuning in. I'm like, wow, that person has done a lot of stuff. And I'm sitting there listening to her and at some point she's like, and so we like to, Welcome Ted Hardy on the stage. And she's got this check for like, you know, $2,000, $2,500. And, you know, I'm like, what? And so I don't have, so I know I won an award. I have no idea what for, none, because I wasn't paying any attention to what she was saying. So I get on stage and she hands me the microphone and, and everyone's clapping. And I, and I said, I, I'm normally not uh, speechless. And so she kind of laughed. And then, and then she's sitting there. I said, can I just give my presentation? <laughs> so she gave me the microphone and I gave my safety presentation. I walk off. I'm like, what the hell did I just win? And they told me that it was for promoting the safe free diving stuff. So I basically took that check within about two weeks. I hired a web guy to design freedivingsafety.com. Then I hired two video guys to come to the house to film it because I needed to be in the water and I couldn't film all that stuff myself. And so that was basically how I created the, created the site. Oh, that's a great story. <laughs> I had no idea that was the story behind it. I saw the picture with you holding the check for 2000. Yeah. So it worked really good because I had just viewed this mini safety course. It was a free safety course, but it was nothing like what I put together. And I was telling Sherry, but I'm like, Ooh, look, I think I'm going to start. Maybe I can get some traction at the, at the, um, at the, at the blue wild, but it was, you know, it was very minimal. And, you know, they see like a five minute video of me running my mouth. Uh, and then when I got the check and all this sort of stuff, it just all seemed to come together and make sense that I should really, really focus on that. So this year you've got your website, you've got your, your business. Uh, what are your, what is your plan? Like, where do you see, what is your in-game goal? So I, you know, I love teaching the classes. Um, I, you know, been done that for 10, 11 years now. Uh, there was a while, you know, I was, you know, when I was growing the business, it was always about like, you know, do more classes and, you know, gosh, at one point I was doing five classes every three weeks and I did that for like three months. Uh, that was, I was doing them back to back. I do one Monday through, you know, I would do Tuesday to Thursday, do another one Friday to Sunday. And then I'd take like two days off and I'd do an interview. It was just crazy. I was just packing them as many as I could. Um, and that was too much. <laughs> I was, that was too much for me. Uh, I mean, I was constantly, I was losing my voice and it was, uh, I mean, I love teaching. I love what I do. I love the studentship of the house. I get super excited. Uh, but that was too much teaching. Um, and so, you know, I definitely want to get back to it. Um, look forward to hoping I can get back this summer. Um, but I also, you know, I've, I've developed these, all these different online programs and really, truly, I, I really, need to do a better job of promoting freedivingsafety.com. And I would say like, you know, when you stay five, 10 years from now, you know, I don't know, but I want freedivingsafety.com to be bigger and, and more known. I mean, I just think that the industry needs something like it. Um, it's, it works. Um, I see the, you know, I, there, I have, I have uh, you know, their survey at the end and like, you know, almost all of them, it says it makes them want to take a free diving class. They say they thought they were safe before they took the class. And then, you know, like 80% of them say they realized they weren't being safe, even though they thought they were being safe. Um, you know, and so I know it's, 
I know it's needed. And uh, so that's, I guess, what I hope is that I can really do a much better job of getting that out there, you know, and specifically to the spearfishing community, because that's where most fatalities occur. Well, just real quick, I mean, thinking about that, um, I know from having my house in Baja and, and trying to do trips now with people and that almost should be a prerequisite before getting on any boat, not necessarily uh, going on a free diving course because not everybody has that money, but at least know how to rescue someone. Um, so I, I've got a, so I've got a guy at, at Blue Wild at that trade show. He came up to me and he was all excited to see me. He's like, Ted, he's like, he's like, hey, he's like, I went through your, you know, your free diving safety course. He's like, oh my gosh, it was awesome. And he goes, so here's what I do. He goes, I, I he goes, he goes, I took a free diving class and he goes, and I started spearfishing all these people and I realized they're all crazy. No one pays attention to anyone. This one goes that way. And I'm like, what? And they're like, you know, well, I've never had a problem. And he's like, I, I, I can't get anyone to do anything that we learned in this freediving class that I took. And so he's like, then I took your freediving safety course. And then he's like, then I figured it out. He goes, I own the boat. So he goes, when you come on my boat, I say you have to be either certified. You have to show me a screenshot of Ted's course, you getting 100%. And you have to agree to follow the rules that Ted talks about, like what we're going to do. And so he tells me all this and I'm like, can you please say all of that again so I can video it, please? <laughs> and so then I go, I got to pull up the phone and got a video of him to explain how he uses that as a prequeck for his course. I mean, his boat. Like if you want to do a trip with him, you got to be certified. You got a screenshot that you did it and you got to agree to actually do. Because there's another thing. Taking a free diving course or knowing how to rescue someone from blackout or knowing all these things, but then not implementing them is pointless. It doesn't matter if you can rescue, blow tap, talk like a boss, you're the best rescue, blackout rescue on the planet. If you're 50 foot away from your buddy when they surfaces and you don't see and they're overweight and they sink to the bottom, like that knowledge in your head is, is useless. All right. So it seems like with insurance companies too, and dive charters, they would probably get a uh, insurance break or something on that. I mean, and a waiver, a waiver is nice, but I'd rather not get in a situation where I have to apply the waiver to anything. Yeah. I mean, I, I just hope that I can do a better job of, of letting people, letting people know about that, you know, know about that course, the course. And also the point of it is to, you know, it's not to replace the course. I, you know, I, I want, the goal is to go take a free diving course and I've got a link of, you know, course locations. And I've got all the instructors. I've got PFI, I've got FI, I've got Patty, now we got SSI, you know, everyone, you know, out, out to try to, you know, find a course that they can go take. So for all the people right now listening that say, um, yeah, you're, you're in Florida, Ted, and uh, we all know the visibility is good there and all this stuff like that. You don't dive where we dive in California or, you know, somewhere else that might have not the greatest viz. What is like your recommendation? Yeah. So I get that all the time. I have people that come take my classes from all over the place, um, you know, and they say, yeah, well, that's maybe nice. And you know, you're like, yeah, Ted, watch your buddy. That's great. But maybe, you know, I, you know, in fantasy land where you live, you can actually see things like where I dive you know, we dive in 40 foot of water and we've got 15 foot of this, like it, it doesn't work. Um, and so I would say what I've noticed over the past, you know, 10, 12 years of teaching is the, if I can take like a safety level of the community, right, of how safe a certain community is, right, safety oriented, how many people are pro safety or don't really care about it, um, is definitely tied to the visibility, right? Like, so I would say what I've 
find is the you know groups that tend to be the least concerned about safety and want to argue about all the stuff that I say is people that spearfish in California and up in Northeast, right? Boston, right? Long Island, right? Where they, because they all dive in, in, in bad, bad uh, visibility. And so this whole thing about watch your buddy, they're like, but you can't see your buddy. So it doesn't even work. Therefore, the only thing to do is just dive by yourself, you know, push your limits, suck it up and that kind of stuff, right? So yeah, not being able to see for sure makes things more difficult, but you can still you can still you can still work at it right you know maybe it's not going to be i mean yeah when you're in the bahamas and, and you're going down to 50 feet you know, 50 foot of is i mean it, it's really simple to watch your buddy right you just watch them right and you see them shoot the fish and they're in the surface it's very simple uh so what can you do uh if you are diving in a, in a situation where what i call you're diving out of biz right they you can't you can't see where they're going so there's a couple things you do one this isn't uh bulletproof but it's help it's just again one of the many things you do make yourself more visible right put um you can put you know like white paint on the on the snorkel uh on the back of the weight belt uh i know garo from um again, the dive company talks about how you can put the same markings on your fin on the back of the fin right and then on the the heel of the fin so all these things right so now when the person's going down that you can see those you know they're, they're more visible they're going to pop right and that's not going to help I mean, if you go to some point, that won't work, but it helps in those kind of intermediate things where like maybe now you can see them a little bit deeper. So that's one thing you can do. Um, uh, the, most, the most beneficial thing you can do is a float line, right? So spear fishermen use float lines for a variety of reasons, right? Outside of safety, there are certain reasons they use float lines in certain environments and whatnot. Uh, but that is a re really good thing if you're diving in crap biz is if it's appropriate to use a float line, now at least the person makes a drop. I got no idea where they are, but I see the float and I follow the float and the person's gonna come up somewhere near that float, right? You know, are they gonna come up and bump their head on every time? Probably not, but they're gonna be in the area, right? And that's certainly better than just like, well, the hell with that, I'm not gonna pay any attention, right? So the float lines um, can be helpful. Uh, and then the people in California go, yeah, but the kelp is gonna get them tangled in the kelp, right? So I understand California has got even more situations to deal with. They've got bad visibility in, in there and then they've got the kelp, which typically makes float lines become a mess. Um, so I know my, my buddy uh, Garo again at Dive Company, he created specifically a float for that reason at the snake float. And as I understand it, really the only thing that thing is there for is for you to be seen, right? It's just basically a float line that he can go wiggle through the kelp and that thing just trails on the surface and it's designed not to get snagged on stuff um so you know there's things you can do it's just a matter of yeah you have to change the way that you dive and some people are willing to make those sacrifices and changes and some people aren't uh but there is things you can do another thing that's really nice we talked about this before is using a being aware of your buddy's dive time right so like if you've got like five guys that go on a boat spearfishing Right, I'm almost guaranteed if you're listening to me and you've got a crew that you dive with, I almost I guarantee you, you can point this guy is the longest diver and this guy is the shortest diver. He's, he's like 30, we make fun of him. He can barely, he comes up coughing, he stinks, right? But so like every spear fisherman, free diver has generally some sort of average dive time, right? So if you were to use a computer and actually knew what that time was, and a lot of people don't, but let's say you knew that your bud John was roughly a minute diver. What I'll tell you is 90% of John's dives in a day are going to be between 50 seconds and a minute 10, right? Why? Because it's in your nature to stay down as long as you think you can. And the only reason a spearfisherman would ever come up early is that they shoot a fish right in the beginning, 
right? Otherwise, they're going to stay down for as long as they think they can. So again, it would be nice to know this guy's a minute diver. This guy's a 30 second diver. This guy's crazy. He's like two minutes, right? So at least you have, if you, if you want to, again, it's another thing that some people won't do, but if you're interested and want to do it, you now have another kind of tool to help you figure out what's going on. We've also talked about this before um, with when you're diving in the kelp, you know, those kelp stalks are pretty much like drop lines for you and you can go down them and your buddy knows, okay, go down this drop line. He's within, he's down here. So even if you have a reel, you still have an idea of where your guy is and when he's, or girl. And when they come up, you know when they're going to come up because like you said, you're looking at the time. And if they don't come up, you drop down the kelp and whatever you have planned, usually we drop and we sit there and we wait a speto style um, and they're right there or they should be right there. Yeah. Um, that's our tactic. Uh, the other thing is too, is that we, we, I talked to you about this a little bit where you know, people that say, I see more fish when I dive solo. And, um, you know, I just, it's just more of a euphoric experience and all of that. Well, you know, it's a really cool experience when you have a buddy that you, uh, that you guys are just in sync. And I've talked about this before where you guys are diving, you know, one after another, and it's just so cool to succeed as a team. And even then you got to hang out with your buddy all day. Um, and, and I say that because good buddies are unique and everybody has different chemistry and everybody like, you know, does different things. But when you have a buddy that you can depend on, <clears throat> you guys get better, you get more fish. I mean, I think you land more fish and it's just a much more enjoyable experience and you're safe. And then the other thing, as far as, you know, hunting white sea bass, you don't want to spook white sea bass. And everybody says this and that. I get it, but like the sea bass I saw this year was really funny. It was four of us in the water just screwing around and ran right into them. Um, but um, yeah, you can separate. We call it West Coast buddy style where we're not diving. We just swim and we're spy hopping on each other. And then if yeah. someone's got to do, depending on the visibility, uh, if we're not diving per se, say like you said, there's you know, 15 feet of viz, the thermal climbs at 10. I just got to go, I, I can see, I don't even have to dive all day. I just, I try to do, I'm lazy. I don't want to have to do as much yeah. as I have, you know what I mean? And yeah. so, uh, and all the sea bass I saw were within 10 feet of the surface this year. Um, and then if we do shoot one, or if someone's got to do a drop or wants to do a drop, you just call your buddy over to spot you. And that's about it. And half the time we do one big drop and we're like, man, it's freezing down there. I'm just going to stay up here. Screw that. Yeah. And look, you know, and that's pretty much it. So it's like you can do it um, and, and be safe. Um, and I yeah. just want to encourage everybody to, to know that, um, you know, I mean, that's the bottom line. It's not nothing. It's funny you say no fish is worth your life. But as you know, the last five years, I guess I've been paying attention to social media and all that. Like more and more people are dying. And it's like really sad because they're getting the people that are dying are getting closer and closer and closer and closer to home. Um, you know, it's like it used to be I knew some guy third hand. Now I know I'm second hand. Now I know I'm first hand. And it's terrible. Yeah. I mean, it, when, when I do when I do those presentations at like, you know, it, let's say at Blue Wild or maybe I go to one of the spear fishing clubs in South Florida and, you know, I talk about this safety stuff. And I know that that audience is maybe not super on board with the things I'm trying to convince them of. And what I what I you know, when I start getting on the resistance, one of my favorite things to do is, say, OK, do me a favor. Raise your hand. If you know of someone in your area that's died spearfishing from blackout, 
And I'm always shocked the amount of hands that come up. And I'm like, why are we arguing? Can you not use your eyeballs and look at the people that are raising their hands? Like, I don't, it's very, it's always surprising. Um, so one thing I'll, I'll go back on that's really helpful is, so let's say like you're listening to this podcast and you're like, oh, well, you know, I, I kind of tried the buddy thing, but it, it doesn't work, right? It, or we can't, we keep getting separated. So I remember when I took my, my, my PFI freediving class, so I, uh, I took the class, I went back to the Keys, and I was, you know, immediately I was going out spearfishing, right? So I was going out spearfishing with my buddy Aaron at the time. And so we go out, and we are, we are scuba instructors, super concerned about safety. We're brand new freediving instructors. We're brand new, free, we're freediver, we're new to freediving. Um, but we're very safety oriented and we were on board with what Kirk talked about buddies and all this sort of stuff. And so I would make a drop and I'd come up and Aaron's way the hell over there. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? You're supposed to be watching me. She's like, no, you're supposed to be watching. We were like, they're just constantly like hollering at each other. And it was like, we were trying to do it. We kept not doing it right. And we'd end up hollering at each other. And so that's when I realized that I used the technique that I stole from scuba. Right. So I remember I was on a boat. I was teaching scuba and there was this uh, elderly couple and they, they're, they would come out with this all the time and they always get separated, right? And they'd always argue and they're late and they're all this stuff. And they came in the boat and they said, Ted, we've just, we've got to take a navigation course, right? We just, we, you know, we always get separated and she, you know, and they're both like pointing fingers at each other as the other person. And so I said, well, I'm, like, I'm happy to sell you a navigation course, but I can fix this issue in about 30 seconds right now for free. And they were like, what? I said, yeah. I said, which one of you was the designated leader and which one of you was the designated follower when you jumped into the boat or jumped in the water. And they're like, uh, I'm like, exactly. You both thought you were the leaders. And that's why, that's why people can't get, they get separate. They always think the other person's supposed to be following them. So what we started doing, and I, I know so many people do this and they love it. And I call it the bulletproof buddy system. It's so simple. You get in the water and one person is the designated leader. Other person is the designated follower. That leader gets to go wherever they want. They don't have to talk to the other person. There's no negotiation. You as the follower have one job. Stick your face in the water, smoke in your mouth, and follow that person's fin tip. It's the only thing you do. When that person makes a drop, he doesn't have to say, hey, hey, and make sure you're watching me. I'm about to die. Because you already agreed that they were going to do that. So the, the first diver makes the drop. Second diver's there. When the first diver comes up, second diver is already there, watching him, you know, close enough to grab, watch for 30 seconds. And then immediately, that diver, the role switch. Now they're the leader the, and the follower has to follow that person. And so you just switch back and forth. There's no communication. There's no yelling. There's no arguing. There's no, I don't understand. There's no like, Hey, come come on, watching me. And like the people that do it, they love it. Right. They're like, it works so well. And then if you want to take it to the next level, you add a third. Now, if you have a three person buddy team, now this is really good. Now you've got one person on the bottom. You've got another person providing safety. And then the third person is breathed up, right? Is breathing up. So when that first person comes up and they do their check, he, that one's already down and you have constant coverage on the bottom, right? If you need to put a second shaft in a fish, you've got a guy. So then you turn into this cooperative three-person team, right? Who actually is hunting together as a team instead of those three people fighting against each other to see you can shoot the biggest fish, right? So you get rid of that competitive side. And so then you get all these advantages of being able to put second shafts in fish. You're actually, you know, helping other people, you know, hey, there's a, where I was, I couldn't see it, but there was a grouper down there. You, the, you know, the next guy can go get the grouper and then you're hunting as a team, right? And so I always tell my students, I go through all these examples of the advantages of team hunting about, you know, you can help each other and there's all these ways you're going to 
you put more fish in the cooler because that's what Jeremy Gamble, owner of Spearing Magazine, you know, he says, ever since I started doing the three-person system, we put more fish in the cooler. So I go through this whole explanation in class, trying to convince them that they'll get more fish. And I say, and you get this little insignificant bonus of not dying. But don't worry about that because I know that's not important. Just focus on you're going to get more fish, right? Um, but, I mean, it, you know, it, it, it can be done, you know, if you're willing to do it. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I have people, I've heard people argument and say, like, you know, but it's the best way, it's the best way to go. I agree. It's the be- it is one of the best ways to go, right? You have no idea anything's wrong. I don't want to go, though. I just don't want to. I got too much stuff I want to do. Yeah, I think I would, um, you know, I don't know. It sounds like you're kind of similar to me, like, where it's like, we go 100%. I got to, my mind, I wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning. My mind's just racing of ideas and things. I feel like if I were to go early, I would be one pissed off ghost, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, I got too much stuff to do. I don't have time for that. <laughs> no, and, I, and so I, I love your point. I mean, and we talk about safety and all of that, but we're, we're, I, I wanted to go over the myths too of what we talk about. And I guess we kind of did inadvertently, but like the myths of I know my limits. And, yeah. and then the next thing I want to talk about is, okay, we've talked about all these things and we talk about being, uh, I want to go over ways to be safe, like buoyancy. Like how do you know you're properly weighted? Because I've heard people say, oh, I want to be really heavy so I can drop down faster and all of that. Well, that's great until you have to come back up. So, yeah. So those are two, two excellent questions, right? So the first one, the myth of I don't push myself, right? So I hear that all the time, right? You know, I don't push myself. I know my limits. I've never had a problem. You know, this sort of stuff, right? So it's, here's a, a really good way to, I think, explain that. So almost everyone who's listening has probably sat on the couch and seen how long they've held their breath. Right. And probably in some manner on, on dry land or whatever, you've held your breath. And if you've ever held your breath before, you know, there's this part in, when you first start holding your breath, it actually feels pleasant and nice. I always tell my students, enjoy that part because it's going to get sucky later. Right. So, but like, you know, there's that pleasant part in the beginning. And then as you hold your breath longer, typically people say they feel an urge to swallow. And then maybe they're going to start feeling contractions. You know, it's like a, it's like a hiccup. Your diaphragm squeezes. Um, and you start having these contractions and it gets, you know, all that gets more and more uncomfortable, more contraction, stronger contraction, stronger urge to breathe. This is not fun. I hate this. And then you're like, <sighs> you start breathing, you, you can't do this anymore, right? So if you were to graph that experience, and I were to graph your breath hold time and your discomfort level, it would be a straight 45 degree line, which intuitively everyone understands. The longer you hold your breath, the suckier it gets. You know, you're like, all right, Ted, that's brilliant. Like, I already knew that. Not why are we talking about it? I've never thought about it. But you, you intuitively understand that. So people understand that, you know, they get these worse and worse feelings the longer and longer they hold their breath. So then they jump in the water and they go diving. And they go, yeah, but I don't push myself, but I, I, I know my limits. And they assume you're going to get that same steady increase in discomfort level. But when you're diving in the ocean, it does not work that way. It's because of physics and partial pressure of oxygen. So it's happening is you're not going to get that slow, steady increase in signals that you get when you're driving on dry land, right? It's going to happen very suddenly, if not immediately. Most people, not, not every single one, but most blackouts, the person had no idea that anything is wrong, right? That's why I love that video that I, I was referencing earlier. You see this bigger picture. He had no idea anything's wrong. They ran talk to him. He had no idea anything's wrong, right? I've talked to so many people that have had blackouts, beer They felt fine. Half the time they argue with the person when they get brought to that they're, no, nah, I didn't blackout. I, I remember the whole thing. It wouldn't get off of me. What are you doing? 
right? And so, you know, if if you're not going to feel that anything is wrong, because the whole, the, I mean, it gets very, very complicated, I don't get into it, but the idea is your partial pressure drops as you get close to the surface. If you get 30 feet to the surface, your partial pressure drops almost in half, right? And it's that partial pressure what's keeping you conscious. And so it drops so rapidly, uh, and that's what causes you to, to, to have these blackouts. So the idea is if you're, if you're not going to feel it because of physics, then when you're saying, but, but Ted, but Ted, I don't push myself. I know my limits. I, you know, I've never had a problem. Uh, it just, you know, it doesn't add up in the, in the real world. I always joke, like to say, like, you know, you don't see skydivers saying, you know, look, you know, I've been skydiving for 15 years. I'm like, so good. I'm like, I'm like a badass skydiver. I'm so good at skydiving. I'm so sick of packing that reserve chute. It's such a pain in the butt. I'm just not going to do it anymore. I'm just not going to bring the reserve chute. No, of course they don't do that because they don't want to go splat. Right. So, you know, it, just that argument that the, the problem with the, I don't push myself argument is it's always correct. Until you're until dead. It's not. Yeah. That's the way that argument is. And it's very difficult to convince someone that's saying that I've been doing it for 20 years and I've never had a problem. But that's awesome. I hope you never do have a problem. But, you know, if you do have one, the way that you're set up, you're going to be dead. And it just, I, I would rather not be set up that way. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. No, I, I, uh, that I like what you said there. And, and I think that's the thing that I, we had a death in, um, in Guam, there was a death of a, of a young kid and it was one of like many that I've heard of. And I was trying to think of what goes on there uh, on a bigger scale. And, and also some of these other places where guys are diving deep and the partial pressure thing came to mind where, you know, these kids, they don't know any better because they've been diving deep since they were like from day one. So they don't know, they keep thinking they're going to feel bad, but you're going to feel great at depth. And I try to describe the partial pressure thing is like with the pressure, it's jamming every bit of oxygen and O2 molecules into your body. And as you come up, it's sucking it out now because the pressure is not there. And that's why you black out because the greatest pressure is that first 33 feet, one atmosphere or whatever. Yep, yep. And so that's what happens. So I try to explain it to like people when they ask me, but I was thinking about how to explain it to, you know, people, young kids that are in those areas where it's part of the culture, you just go dive because you got to feed your family or, you know, like literally yep. these people aren't doing it for the fun. They're not doing it for Instagram. They're doing it to eat. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. how do you teach them? Hey, I know you're diving 90 feet every day. It's not that big of a deal, but Hey, by the way, you, you're going to have to ignore how good you feel or not because you don't know until you come up that first 30 feet, you get a, get a surprise one day and you're not going to come up at all. 
And we had, yeah. there was a few deaths, I think solely because of that. And it was terrible. And they were young guys and they were great competent guys. But I think that, you know, law of partial pressure that people mention a lot, but they don't really understand it, kind of bit him in the ass, unfortunately. And it was terrible. Um, so I'm glad you brought it up. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah. And so let's get into the buoyancy part of it now. Yeah. Yeah. So waiting. So this, this like safety, you know, this idea of direct supervision and improper waiting. I mean, basically, the reason the fatalities happen is because number one, the first rule isn't followed, which is there's no direct supervision. So the person hits the service and blacks out and there's no one there. Or they're there, they're just not paying attention, they're 50 feet away from them, they're not looking, or they're underwater shooting a fish. So in essence, the buddy's not there. So that's the first thing that happens. And just really quickly, 90% of the blackens ha- blackouts happen at the surface after two or three breaths. 90, so almost all of them, they hit the surface, they take a breath or two, and then they go out, right? So that's why it's so critical to be right there at the surface. Um, so then if the person blacks out, what will happen is they're gonna, you're going to lose some of the air in your lungs, right? So if it happens underwater, the obvious sign of underwater blackout is you just big bubbles of release of air. If you watch the video that I was referencing earlier, you'll get to see that. So they release the air. So when you lose air from your lungs, that's a lot of your buoyancy. Right. So if someone has a blackout, they're going to end up in one or two places, either floating on the surface or on the bottom of the ocean. And what determines where you end up is how much lead you have on your belt. Right. So where would be a better place to end up if you were to blackout? On the bottom of the ocean or floating in the surface? Obviously, we understand floating the surface would be a better place to end up. Right. So. That's right. all going to be determined by how much weight's on your belt. So what you want to do is when you jump in the water, one of the things I tell my students to do every time my students jump in the water is the first thing we do before we do anything is we do what I call the surface safety test. And this is going to predict accurately, completely accurately, if you were to black out wearing whatever wetsuit you're wearing, whatever weight belt you're wearing, whether you would float or sink if you had a blackout. And the way that you test this is you jump in the water wearing whatever you normally wear, take a big breath in, and then you do a relaxed exhale like a sigh. That's it, right? You don't push every bit of air out of your lungs possible because if you're blacked out, you're not gonna actively do that. So you just take a big breath in, relax, exhale like a sigh. Don't move your hands, don't move your feet at all, and see what happens. When my students typically do that the first day, down they go, right? They're, all, they're, they're typically overweighted, right? So if you're continuously sinking when you do that relaxed exhalation, that means I want to end up on the bottom of the ocean if I black out, right? I don't recommend that as a very intelligent strategy. So you would take a pound off the belt and do the test again. And you keep doing that test until you no longer continuously sink. I had a spear fisherman from Miami, the worst I ever saw. He had 13 pounds on his belt and he needed three. He needed three. And he said there was no way he could possibly die with that little weight. And he ended up doing 115 foot, no problem. Now, let me ex- explain. I understand that people like to wear weight because it makes it easy to get down. Absolutely. There's no way I can't say that's not true. Of course it's true. Wait, 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 work. Right now, when you look at being overweighted, you know, let's ignore the safety side for now. It's very unsafe. It makes it very easy to get down. Absolutely, it does. As easy as it gets to go down, it makes it that exact amount hard to go up, right? When you're weighted my way, yeah, it's harder to go down. That's the way physics works. And you're wearing less weight. Yes, it's harder to go down, 
but now you have elevator ride to the surface. The work that you do is the same either way. It's a matter of where do you put it? Where do you put the work, right? Does it make sense to put the work when you're going through that danger zone, that area where you're most likely to black out, right? Not to mention as a spear fisherman, you're often trying to get something to the surface that, that doesn't want to go there, right? So you've got to fight the weight and you've got to fight this fish, right? Now, here's what's crazy. When you are overweight, especially in excess, which I see a lot, right? So what I just said, so, okay, you said, Ted, well, the work's the same either way. So it really doesn't matter where I put it. I'm not that concerned about the safety, okay? So let's say you're not that concerned about the safety. Ted said the work is the same, right? Now, if you're overweight and especially excessively, I'm going to tell you it's going to reduce your actual total bottom time. And here's why. When you're overweighted to excess, when you're sitting at the surface, if you're weighted my way, and you black out, you will float like a cork. You won't have to spend any energy, you're gonna be floating. So when you're breathing up normally, you are you're to the zone of rest. You're face down, you're breathing through your snorkel, all you're focused on is getting relaxed for your next dive. If you're overweighted, you're gonna to have to be, so if you're overweighted and you go to the surface and you don't move your feet, you don't move your hands, you'll die because you'll actually sink underwater and then you won't be able to breathe. So you are, when you're overweighted, you have to do some amount of work with your feet in your hands to keep you, keep your, keep you uh, on the surface so you can breathe up. Now, I'm not saying it's like you're, you're treading water, but what I'm getting at is you are doing some amount of work just to exist at the surface to keep that snorkel up, which does what to your heart rate? It raises your heart rate because you're having to do work, and that raising of your heart rate will reduce your bottom time overall. We want low resting heart rate. So we want to be buoyant at the surface, right? So the last thing I tell people is, look, I'm a competitive, my background is competitive for you diving, right? We do whatever crazy stuff it takes us to dive as deep as possible, hold our breath as long as possible. We're clearly insane as the craziest sport, right? If, if there was, if, if, if I got an advantage, if I could wear an extra five pounds and that let me dive an extra 20 feet, we'd, we'd all do it. We'd all overweight the hell out of ourselves. If there was any advantage to overweighting, every competitive free diver on the planet would do it. But we don't do it because it's not an advantage. It's a disadvantage to every part of your free diving. So, you know, I would just encourage you, do that test. You're probably, most people are way overweighted. Um, and, you know, I think it, it makes sense, right? Do the work in the beginning uh, and get the elevator, elevator ride to the service. I remember probably six, seven, eight years ago, reading an article in Hawaiian Skin Diver about these spear fishermen that they forgot their weight belts. And they were diving really deep, like 80, 90, 100 feet. They forgot their weight belts and they, they dove that way and then they, they never used weights again, right? Because they just love the fact that they just get an elevator ride to the surface. Well, there's also like, so that was the big thing for me was you can't do a proper breathe up if you're having to stay, try to stay afloat. It's miserable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even by just a pound, especially if you're kicking around forever, when you go to do your breathe up, you're just expending energy, moving yourself around through the kelp force or whatever it is on the top with extra weight. It's a waste. But I, there's also a form you know, of diving where people will use weights attached to lines and they'll use that to assist them down. And yeah. then they'll drop them. And I don't know if you, have you seen that before? I'm assuming you have. Yeah. yeah. So people can do those. Those are cool. I mean, that's great. I always love when you're free dive training to ride the uh, weight down a little bit. And the first thing yeah. when we, <laughs> but um, that's really helpful too. If you, 
if you if you're that serious about diving, you know, do that. But it makes no sense. It's totally counterproductive. You're going to dive longer. You're going to do everything much easier. Feel more rested, more willing to dive when you have less weight on yourself, and you're trying to do a proper breathe up. Like now, a lot. A, the reason a lot of people do wear a lot of weight is just like me. When I started free diving, when I was my first free dives, I was crazily overweighted because I sucked at the whole thing and I'm like it's hard to get down where I want to go right so I just put I used to wear I mean I used to wear 10 pounds there's no wetsuit no nothing in the Florida Keys like 30 foot of water I was a scuba instructor and I'm like wow this makes I was like funk on the bottom like this is cool and I like crawl around on the bottom and then when I would come at the surface I'm like I'm a scuba instructor I dive every day my legs are super strong it's not a it's not a problem um so a lot of people have so many issues getting down to the bottom when they're new and either they on their own, like I did figure the solution is add more weight or their buddies say, Oh, well, if you're having trouble getting down, like, you know, just wear more weight. And you know, when you're overweighted, it takes no skill to get to the bottom. The weights do the work. Right. And so it's a, it's a crutch for poor technique. So one of the things that like my classes, for instance, when I take some like that guy I talked about, that took 10 pounds off his belt. He's like, there's no way I can dive now out 10 pounds. Well, now he learned, how to take a bigger breath. He learned how to properly breathe up. He learned an efficient entry. So he's spending the least amount of entry to get in the water. He's got an efficient kick. And so when you add all these improvements, it's a win-win. Now it's just as easy as it was before, but you subtracted the weight just because you made better technique. Yeah, the other thing too is that um, I, you know, for some reason, when you come over from scuba diving, scuba divers, there's a lot of terrible, terrible habits, especially it would, uh, I think because you can rely on your BCD um, but I remember when I first got certified at Catalina, I was like 12, and I loved being super heavy weighted because I can let all the air out of my BC and just skydive yeah. down. That was like yep. the coolest thing to me. And then you literally okay. like a thud on the bottom. And then yep. you just put air in your BC and you're good to go. Like what could possibly go wrong? So that's one of the bad habits. Do you think there's any other bad habits when you come over from diving, scuba diving? It's just a whole other animal. And, you know, from high volume mass to... Now you're going to low volume mass. I just see the same kind of stuff. Uh, uh, weight belts being, you know, overloaded completely. And was there anything that you noticed transitioning from the scuba side to the free diving yeah. side? Yeah. So one of them, and this creates a lot of confusion with a lot of people. So maybe if anyone listening has this confusion, this will help. Um, one of the things that gets people is they're scuba divers they have no problems equalizing their ears they have, everything's cool and they take a free diving course and they can't equalize their ears past 15 feet 30 feet maximum right and so very few people understand that there's in essence two main the main types of equalizing most people do is valsalva which is the pinch and blow method and then frenzel so most scuba divers use valsalva because it works fine for scuba, right? And the reason everyone learns Valsalva is the average scuba instructor doesn't know what the heck the difference between scuba, uh, Valsalva and Frenzel. There's no need for them to know what Frenzel is and how it works. And I teach it because Valsalva works fine. So when I used to have like a 12-year-old, let's say I got a young kid, like a 12-year-old kid or whatever, and I'm taking them on a Discover Scuba or whatever, I say, hey, Johnny, you know how to clear your ears? Uh-uh. Like, okay, do me a favor, pinch your nose, uh-huh, and I'll blow your nose. Oh, I'm like that. Do that early and often. I just taught the kid how to equalize. That's how simple Valsalva is. Pinch your nose and blow. And it works. Right? Now, when you take a free diving class or you go free diving, that technique will limit you 
to about 15, 30 feet, especially if you're diving perfectly straight up and down, right? Which is a free diver, that's how we want to go. We want to straight like a laser, right? I think people say, well, I, you know, I've used Valsav and I can free dive to 50 feet. And then they, they literally go down at a 30 degree angle or they go down 10 feet, stop, turn around, clear their ears, go down 10 feet, stop, turn around. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, but like, we want to go down straight. We don't want to do it that way, right? We want to go down straight like a laser. So it's funny, I've had scuba instructors. So when I started, you know, a long time ago, I used to do uh, an hour Skype session with, ev I've done literally over 500 of these, every student I have, and I would teach them how to do Frenzel. And it takes an hour to two hours. I've done over 500 of those. So that's between 500 to 1,000 hours I've sat on Skype and said the same thing over and over. At some point, I'm like, oh my gosh, there has to be a better way to do this, right? Which ultimately regarded to me teaching, creating the, uh, the, the equalizing course. So it's funny, right. I've had, I've had probably over five scuba instructors take my freediving course and then either if I was doing them by Skype or if I was making them go through the online courses, I, all my students get all that stuff for free, is I would I'd say, all right, you know, you got to go through this equalizing course or you got to do the Skype session with me. And they're like, Ted, I'm a scuba instructor. Like, I, I, I don't need to learn how to equalize. And I'm like, yeah, but you got to like, Ted, I'm a scuba instructor. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't listen to it, right? I've had five scuba instructors get stuck at 15 feet in this course. At the end, every time they're like, all right, so what's all that stuff about friends? And I'm like, okay, let's sit down and let's, let's go through it, right? So if you're listening to this and you are struggling to equalize your ears in 15, 30 feet, there's a very good reason, uh, very likelihood that this is the issue. So here's a quick test that anyone can do right now to find out if you're using the Valsalva method or if you're using the Frenzel method, right? So the easiest way to tell is put your hand on your stomach. And I want you to pinch your nose and equalize five times in a row, kind of fast, like one, two, three, four, five, right? Right, I just did that. I had my hand on my stomach, you guys can't see me, but my stomach was motionless, not moving at all, not a, nothing, zero movement. You people that do Valsalva when they do that, you're gonna feel the stomach compressing every single time, right? I can typically see it across the room, I can see the stomach compressing, right? So what Valsalva does, Valsalva takes the air that's in your lungs and it squeezes it and it pushes it through your throat directly into your ears, right? Frenzel, completely different animal. Frenzel takes the tiny bit of air that's in your mouth and it uses your tongue as a piston and it pushes it directly to the ears, right? Now, when you're a scuba diver, Valsalva works fine, right? Because when you're scuba diving, typically you descend foot first so your feet are going down and your head's pointed up right so you're going down in this manner your head up feet down every time you take a breath off your regulator your lungs are full of air and when you equalize your ear where does air naturally want to go anyway it wants to go up anyway right so valsalva is so simple as a scuba diver i mean scuba divers say i can hands free i wiggle my jaw all these things that make it so simple to equalize on scuba right now you turn into a free diver now you're inverted now your head's down at the bottom your feet are at the top now you're going down. Where does the air want to go? It wants to go to your feet, but you need it by your head. What's happening to the size of the air in your lungs? It's shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. At 33 feet, it's half of what it was. So that's why Valsalva doesn't cut it, right? Frenzel, so the, the difference in power is, the way I explain it is this. Valsalva is, you know, you got all the air in your lungs and you're squeezing. It's like getting one of those big, you know, 50-gallon trash drums, filling that thing up with water, and you're trying to bear hug 
the can to make the water shoot up in the air. It, the water's not gonna go anywhere. Frenzel is you fill your hand up with water and you squeeze it and I can shoot it across the room, right? Because Frenzel generates so much more power. So that's why so many people either new or experienced struggle in these 15, 30 foot ranges. And like they tell their buddies, well, I don't understand. They go, hey, you just got to pinch your nose. And they're like, I'm doing that. Well, it's not working. Well, you must be doing something wrong because that's what I do, right? So a lot of people don't understand the intricacies of this thing, right? So if you're feeling your lungs compressed when I did that test, that means more than likely you're doing Valsava and that is why you're struggling with your ears. Um, and so that program that I have, Make Your Equalizing uh, Problems a Thing in the Past or the Roadmap to Frenzel, it basically teaches the exact step-by-step process that I've literally done over 500, 1,000 times. Um, and it's really cool because it's, uh, it's just like the Skype session. So I'll ask you, do X. I'll tell you to do something. And then at the end, if you can't do it, I'll say, okay, if you can do it, watch video number two. If you can't do it, I understand exactly why you have that problem. Don't worry. I've seen it 500 times. You watch video number four. So you get navigated through the program based on the information that you need instead of me just because if you're already doing it, you don't need me to explain all the problems. So it's, it works out pretty well. No, I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll admit it took me uh, 25 years to uh, finally get with the Frenzel thing. Cause I was like, if it ain't yeah. broke, why fix it coming from yeah. a background of scuba and yeah. then diving in the kelp, you're not really diving that deep. And, you know, you're hunting, yeah. like you said, you're usually down, you're not dropping straight sometimes. And, um, and then, I don't know, must, I don't know how many years ago, probably five years ago now, um, I, you know, I took my first course and I was like, I'm fine. Like, you know, and then it was like, yeah, I'm fine. Uh, however, holy shit, I just cleared like 50 times and that one, you know, just yeah, yeah. cleared so easily and it was so effortless and yeah, I was like, okay, but it took, it honestly took me from all the years. It took me about three months to get it to where I was doing it. Like, uh, upside down no problem and then it's funny i almost forgot how to valsalva because which is good you should you should forget that yeah (laughs) yeah. i went back on scuba and i was like doing my i hadn't done frenzel with my with a regulator in my mouth for a while i don't know it was just funny and uh but it, it it definitely is a little tool that if you're just swallow your pride and just work on it it'll it'll make everything that much better Yeah, but it's just, it's frustrating because some people, you know, what I, my experience is about half the people that I run into to come take my free diving class, half of them naturally do Frenzel. They didn't, no one taught them how to do it. That's just how they equalize. The other half do Valsalva. It is very tricky to switch someone who's done Valsalva for years into Frenzel. That is, that's tricky, right? And that's what, you know, the, the, because I've done it so much, I know how to do it. Yeah, I mean, it was a definitely a conscious effort for three months of, even getting on the couch and upside down trying to do it and like just to get used to the mind you know a lot of pull downs on the line really slowly okay now we're going to do it where i'm level like you know perpendicular parallel and all this stuff like that trying to figure it out um and when you did it was just like a light bulb you know (laughs) it's like riding a bike um yeah once you once you get it you'll never have to think about it again but you know it can be tricky to get there yeah. Um, so we talked about your website. We talked about your goals. We talked about the courses. Um, what other courses? We haven't talked about the 20 day free dive transformation. Yeah. Um, do you want to go ahead and just sum that up? Like, 
Yeah. I know. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so the idea is, you know, spear fishermen are very passionate about their sport, right? They, they travel all over the place for it. They buy all the gear. They do all these things. They plan these trips. They do all this plan. They do all this sort of stuff, right? So much time, effort, energy, money going into spearfishing. Um, and there's the hunting side of it. And there's just a lot to it. Right. The one thing, so when I ask the, you know, the, the typical spearfisher, my students, I say, what do you do to train for spearfishing? And they typically like go, what? I go, what do you do to train? And they're like, oh, oh I, go, I, I go out whenever I can. Right. You know, I, I go out whenever I can, but it's hard because the wife right. and the kids, the job, and like, it's just difficult. Right. So I, you know, so I'm like, okay, but if you were to ask an NFL football player, what do you do to train for football? They don't say, well, I go play football five days a week. No, they go to the gym. They do cardio training, they do calisthenics, they do stretching, they do interval training, they do all these things, right? And so as a competitive freediver, my deepest dive is 279 feet, longest breath hold is seven minutes, and I have a body built by beer, bourbon, and barbecue. There is a reason I should be any good at freediving. In fact, I'm anemic. My, 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 my body has an extremely low amount of hemoglobin. There's no reason I should be any good at this, right? The only reason I am good at it is not because I have any gifted ability at all, it's because I train. Competitive freedivers, we know how to train. We can dive stupidly deep. We can there a really long time. And if you're a spear fisherman, underwater photographer, underwater basket weaver, meditator, whatever it is that you do underwater, you should be very interested in how we do those things. And we do it by training. So basically, that's what this program is. It's five of the most effective dry land that you can do at home training exercises that I know of. These are the ones that I've used. Um, there's three different types of breath holding exercises. Each exercise has a specific goal. Uh, one of them is very unique to this program. I came up with it and I've had a lot of people have been very successful uh, success with it. And it's designed to teach you to minimize and delay those contractions, right? So to get to work with that. Um, and then the, there's other two, which are uh, the stretching exercises, right? And these are things to increase your lung volume and increase the flexibility of your diaphragm. Uh, there's not a competitive freediver on the planet that doesn't religiously do these, these stretches. And that's typically something that most spear fishermen, you know, I, I don't know I any of them that do it or even are aware of them, right? And so basically it's a 28-day program, meaning that you get workouts every day or you get a weekly workout. Um, you get a little calendar that you can print out um, to, to mark your progress. There's a private Facebook group you could become a member of where you post your workouts and ask me questions. Um, I mean, you get access to the program forever. Like people think that it's, you only get it for 28 days. I just, I'm giving you a 28 day workout program, but you have access to it uh, for whenever, however long you want. Yeah, I started, you know, like I said, I started doing it um, on day four and already PR'd, but it, it, you know what? It's not like there's any magic pill to it. It's basically giving you a bulletproof little plan and make you just do this. It's good. It's kind of holding you accountable too. For me is like, I think about like, gives me a plan and I can stick with the plan. If I just tell myself I'm going to do it, I'll forget and then things happen and whatever. But yeah. if you can stick with the plan for 28 days, I'm really excited to see where that goes. And there were some things that were very enlightening. And I talked to you about it. Some of the flexibility things, diaphragm, yeah. um, well, it's funny you mentioned, you know, being out of shape or a scuba diver instructor and overweight and build, uh, bourbon and barbecue, which sounds delicious. Um, but but uh, I've seen guys smoke, like guys that are heavy, heavy smoke, some of the European guys, and they're just crushing these dives. Is there something to, this is the, 
my own personal question. Is there something to smokers and their ability to tolerate CO2 levels or something like that? Has there been, have you seen any science with that? Yes, they, they, they do have tolerance to CO2, but in no way does it help. I mean, like, yes, it increases your tolerance to CO2, but they would be infinitely better divers if they were smokers, if they were not smokers. Yeah, I think it was, um, you know, the uh, Enzo, um, the movie, uh, growing up watching, um, what was it? Uh, escapes me now. Deep Blue, yeah. And uh, guys are, you know, just hanging out, smoking, doing that contest. And, you know, that's a, that's a great movie just to get. But all those Italian guys smoking, just crushing these dyes is just so funny because I think we all know some people like that that don't work out, don't train. Yeah. I, I try to tell the kids this too, like my own kids, it's just about being relaxed. There's so much of it being relaxed. And like you yeah. said in your program, um, with that diaphragm flexibility, if you're not feeling that tension and that urge to breathe, you're going to by default be more relaxed and you'll be able to go deeper because your diaphragm's stretched out. It's like, I've read it and I don't know why, but hearing it come out of somebody else's mouth other than me reading it and saying, yes, do this. It's like, Okay, now I'll listen. Um, well, uh, I, I've, I've, had, I've had people say that either, either the reason they've gone through that particular program or come take a freediving class for me is they say, I'm just tired of like, I go out in my boat, like I'm, I'm new at spearfishing, I'm not very good at freediving, and I go out and I'll feel really good, and I say, well, what do you need to, what do I need to do? And they say, well, do this, 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 and this, and then I go on the other boat, and the guy says, well, whoever told you that's an idiot, you need to do this, this, and this, and then I get on the YouTube video, and I hear all these different things, because I just want to pay someone to tell me what to do that I trust what they're doing is correct. Like what they're telling me is correct. Right. And there's definitely something to that because when you're learning from your buddy, you know, and I'm not saying your buddy's not a good diver or maybe he's very good at teaching you what to do, but a lot of times they're not. And it can be confusing for beginners when you get told all this, you know, misleading and, uh, you know, information that just doesn't add up. They get kind of, they get frustrated. Well, yeah, it's funny because I think you're like the third person that has told me about you know, diaphragm flexibility, what a key part that is as far as pushing your depth um, and, and being comfortable with depth. And, you know, for the cost of the course, I'm shocked. Like, you know, when you consider, obviously, you're paying X amount of money, I guess usually people pay anywhere from a few hundred dollars, you know, to a thousand dollars, something for a basic freediving course. This course is priced well, well below that. And it's like, here is a blueprint to figure, to make yourself everything just much more enjoyable. And, yeah, I was, and it's motivating, you know? I was surprised. I was on uh, a free dive cafe and the, the, um, the guy, he's a competitive free diver instructor and he wanted to go through the program. I was like, oh man, you, you don't want to go through that. Like you're an instructor, you're a competitor. Like, you know, you, and he, I was shocked. He was like, he, he was like, I learned so much from that program. Right. So, I mean, you know, I'm like, I was really surprised to hear an instructor and I mean, he's a 60 meter diver. Um, and I think, you know, part of it is one thing as an instructor, I, I firmly believe in and try to teach all my instructors. It's one thing to be told something. Right. It's another thing to understand at a very high level why it is you're doing this or why I'm explaining something. And when you understand the why it is at a very high level, it just it changes everything. Right. Like, you know, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I'm yeah. supposed to stretch my diaphragm. They have no understanding of how it's causing urges to breathe and what you know, the stretch receptors and all these other things. And then when you hear it explained like that, you're like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Well, the other component is, too, like I have heard people tell me, oh, you need to stretch your diaphragm. OK. And I understood why it kind of makes sense. But you explain 
and, and, you know, great detail why, which was pretty awesome. But then, uh, when you see it work, that's a whole nother thing. You know, everybody tells you all these different reasons why you're having squeezes or why you're doing this and why you're doing that. Uh, okay. I yeah. understand that. But now if I do this and this happens, that's going to be more powerful than anything. Um, yeah. and I just want to mention to everybody, um, Ted did us all a solid and he gave us a, a link where, or I'm sorry, a promo code. If you say uh, promo code spear factor at the website, immersion freediving, you'll get 15% off. So thank you so much for that, Ted. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm sure everybody at home appreciates it as well. Yeah, for sure. And uh, just uh, the, the, the website where the online courses are actually, you can go to immersionfreediving.com and you click on online courses. But in the show notes, I'm sure there'll be a link that'll go directly there. Um, but either way, you'll be able to get it through that way. Okay. All right, cool. And then uh, to kind of sum up, kind of finish up here, uh, Ted's going to be on again. And so basically what I want to do, we're going to do a little two-part series with his idea, which I love it. Uh, just joined up for the 28-day freediving transformation. And then we'll have Ted back on after I've gone through the course to kind of discuss some of the revelations that I had or some of the things that uh, or questions I might have. And we'll talk about how that course, you know, benefited my free diving. And fortunately I'm going to be going back to Mexico uh, in a couple of weeks here and probably in January as well to do some diving. And I'm really excited to see, you know, when you talked about trying just to dive down some lines, hang lines, just to get that mammalian dive reflex kicked in going down to 30 feet and kind of getting used to that. I'm excited to try that. And I'm just excited to see how comfortable it is to go to depths that I used to dive before. Only this time it's like, Oh, I feel great. You know, with yep. the proper buddy, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, it'll be good to talk about the mammalian dive reflex. And another thing that people, people hear that term a lot, but they don't, a lot of them don't fully understand what it is and how to utilize it to their advantage. Yeah. Do you want to talk, uh, just discuss that real quick? Like just basically go over, I know people hear about it, but. Yeah. So the mammalian dive reflex is, uh, is, uh, you know, so it's a well-documented, well-understood physiological response to a human's holding our breath and being at depth. Right. So the idea is, uh, dolphin seals and whales are mammals, right? They, they live in the ocean, they dive, they hold their breath, right? We as human beings, we're mammals but we're part-time residents of the water. We're not, we're not full-time residents of the water, but genetically encoded in every human being on this planet is this mammalian dive reflex, right? We all have it. Um, so it's composed of a lot of different things. So certain things happen. So one of the things that happens is when I go free diving, when I hold my breath, my spleen, which is a reservoir for red blood cells, contracts. And then when it contracts, it pushes out more red blood cells into my, into my system. So it increases um, my ability to transport and store oxygen. And we've done studies where competitive freedivers have on dry land held their breath and then we've drawn their blood and measured an increase in hemoglobin count, right? So it's like, it's like doping for free, blood doping for free without any drugs. Um, so that's part of it. Um, one of the things that happens is the heart rate uh, slows down, like bradycardic response. We get up towards uh, up to a 50% lowering of the heart rate. Uh, because the body understands, hey, I'm trying to use less oxygen, so let me lower that heart rate. Um, another thing that happens is we get constriction of the 
blood scenting, constriction of the blood vessels in the fingers and the toes, right? So the, the body says, hey, I don't need to push blood all the way to my fingers and my toes. Let's compress those blood cells and blood vessels, which puts more blood to the core where we really need to keep it, which is heart, lung, and brain, right? And so it puts more blood there. That's also has a lot to do with the pee reflex. That's one of the reasons you get the urge to pee is because all of a sudden all these fluids come into the core and there's something in there that regulates the fluid level. It goes, oh my God, there's too much fluid and it triggers, makes you pee. Um, so there's, you know, there's all these things that are happening that make you, make you hold your, increase your breath hold. So, I mean, um, you know, spear fishermen are all intuitively aware of the dive reflex. You know, your first drop of the day sucks. You get down there you feel urge to breathe immediately is shallow. You're like, Oh my God, this sucks. I feel terrible. Right. And then after two, three hours, you feel like a rock star, right? You feel like, wow, I can actually go to that depth. I don't feel any urge to breathe. I can actually, you know, I actually hang out down here. If I see the fish, I can actually sit here and let the fish come to me because I got that extra 20 seconds of dive time. Um, and so, you know, spear vision, they know, they, they experience that. Or I have students say, oh, you just got to warm up your lungs or, you know, all these different things. But it, that is firsthand you, your dive reflex kicking in, your male dive reflex kicking in, and you see the benefit of it. So, you know, competitive free divers, we do a lot of things to train that. Another thing you probably noticed as a, as a spear fisherman, you probably notice if you go on a three-day trip, your first day sucks, second day is okay, and your third day you feel like a rock star. And then you go home, and you come back out next month, and the first day sucks, and the second day is okay, and the third day you feel like a rock star. And then you take a six-month break, and you always go through this process, right? But why not train your dive reflex at home, right? So that when you get out there, you're already performing at a, at a, at a, at a higher level. And it's a very trainable thing, right? So if you look at like William Trubridge, world record free diver, and you hook me and him up to the lab, you're going to find that his dive reflex is way stronger than mine, and it, and, it, and it kicks in faster than mine. And then I compare me to my students. Guess what? My dive reflex is way stronger than theirs, and it kicks in way faster than theirs, right? And then my students compare it to Joe Blow, who doesn't go in the water, and then theirs is, right? So it's a trainable, it's a trainable reflex that you know gives gives spear fishermen or free divers anyone in the water a huge advantage if you know how to activate and use it. Yeah, that's part of the reason why when we do trips, um, we try to do the first day as like a minimal day to get our equipment dialed in, but also to get us dialed in to get used to diving and get all our you know. So uh, we're not going thirty miles offshore and then get in the water and feel like crap and our gear's broken or whatever something didn't yeah. work and yeah. So that and that's a great idea. And so when you're saying what are you shared that with me as far as when you get to your spot or if you're on a boat and it's your boat, hang a line over the side with a 25 pound weight belt and just do pull downs and just get used to do a few, just get used to your body, get used to hitting that switch to be kicking that, that reflex. Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, you know, and I, I know I have, I have tried for 10, 12 years. It is hard to convince spear fishermen to do this, but what I will tell you is there's even there's some there's some things you can do that aren't aren't that aren't, aren't that difficult. Um, but the idea is almost every freediving class that I'm aware of, one of the first things they're going to have you do is what's called a pull down, right? So pull down, you're going to be grabbing hold of the rope, you're going to be slowly, not for speed, going down to depth. One of the things that kicks in your dive reflex is depth. So spear fishermen they go to depth as well. Right. So that's why their dive reflex kicks. And that's why after two hours, you feel like a rock star. Right. But our way, you can do two dives, three dives, 
And in seven minutes, your dive reflex is going to be infinitely better and stronger than if you do two, three hours of spearfishing. Because what we're doing with the, these pull downs, the reason we all do them, is it puts us to depth the same way the diving down does, but it does it with our heart rate as low as possible. And we're not, we don't have the adrenaline of spearfish going on, right? We're not like, you know, focused on, you know, all the adrenaline that goes on with spearfishing because we're, you know, you're just going down the line, right? Right. And, First drop right. on a new spot or something, you know, you're always yeah. excited. And that's why when people take these freediving courses, is one of the things that, you know, they're like, oh, I can't believe I it was at 80 feet. And I didn't feel the urge to breathe. Like what the hell? Normally at 50 feet, I feel like I want to, you know, I'm going to have, I want to die. Right. So we're taking in our dive reflex and taking the time to maximize it. So the idea is, is, you know, you go to, you know, a shallow spot to start, right? Like you pull up, to, like when I, when I would take Kathy, I'm a girlfriend now. We go to a 20, 30 foot spot. You put the line over, right? With a 25 pound weight. And I always say 25 pound weight because if it's a 10 pound weight or 20 pound weight, you'll likely pull up the line because the weight will pull up. You want it to be dead solid. So you put 20 pounds on it, hop off the boat, pull down the line, bring the spear gun and leave it in the sand, right? So just in case <laughs> something comes by, you got it, but you're not focused on spearfishing and takes seven minutes, do two pull downs, two, the three of your crazy, I mean, three is awesome. But I mean, you're, so, you know, you take seven minutes out of your program and now all your dives are 50% longer, right? So if you, if you add up how much bottom time you get on that two hour section, yes, you are not spearfishing for seven minutes, but you end up with more time underwater. Now, I know that that is a very hard sell for spearfishing because I've tried for 10, 12 years, but I've been very unsuccessful at it. Um, I know some will do it, but I know most won't. So at least do this. Now, if you, don't, if you don't own the boat, like I get it. You go on someone's boat and you're like, oh, I listened to this podcast and he said I need to put a 25-pound, you know, what the hell are you talking? No, what are you talking about, right? So you might not have the ability to do that. If you own a boat, you own your own boat, try it. Just humor me once and try it. Now, let's say you don't have access to boat and you can't do that. One thing that kicks in your dive reflex is holding your breath. Right. So when I've been on like, you know, what was it? The last time I did this, I was on, uh, I was a stunt double for the, the, what was that show? Uh, the show in the keys. Oh my God. I can't believe. I'm Thunder Paradise. Anyway, I can't remember what it was. I was on Netflix. It's the one in, in the keys. And uh, anyway, I was a stunt double and I do all this stuff and I don't, you know, I can't do pull downs and blah, blah, blah. They, you know, I just need to do what they hired me to do. And so what I'm doing on the boat ride out is I'm, holding my breath till it hurts right and you know soon you know i'm holding my breath three or four times till i get contractions and 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 like no one I, that's not interfering with anyone no one's gonna stop me from doing that and that's that's better than nothing at least that way when i get to the spot i can you know I, and then they the director's like i need you to do blah blah blah, blah. i'm not like hold on I, I need to do a pull down i need like no I'm, I'm already as best as i can to do what i need to do right so that is something you can do that's that's helpful is at least do Dry breath holds in the way out. I, you know, I say, hold till it hurt, right? You start having those contractions, and that will uh, kick in, kick in your dive reflex. Yeah, hold to your hurts. It's terrible. <laughs> it's really terrible. <laughs> and I think it was it uh, this morning. It was um, everything was great that first half, and then it just your curve that you were talking about. It's more like a ski slope, or it's like really <laughs> nice, and then it just gets worse and worse. And you're like, I'm two minutes from where I was at last time. There's no possible way I can hold through this for two minutes. And then you do. And then your head, like, yeah, it's, um, anyways, thank you so much for, uh, taking the time to spend with us. Um, 
Uh, I really appreciate it. And I'm going to look forward to part two uh, in 28 days. Um, and uh, yeah, Ted, uh, just keep doing what you're doing. We'll have all that stuff in the show notes as far as the link to the website, uh, the link to the courses. And uh, don't forget, use Spear Factor and you get your 15% off uh, the course. I can't recommend it enough so far. I just can't wait to show like proof in the pudding so that you guys won't think I'm just full of shit uh, and, <laughs> and go through the course and be like, oh my God, I feel amazing at 80, 90 feet, you know, whatever. Uh, so anyways, thanks again, Ted. I appreciate it. Yeah. And so the last thing I'll say to anyone listening, if you guys have any, if you're listening to this podcast, if you have any questions basically about anything with free diving, feel free to reach out on Facebook, Instagram, whatever, email me. Uh, happy to, happy to help you. And, uh, certainly if you have any questions about safety, I'll talk to you off about that as well. Yeah. And he's not joking about that. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, thanks Ted. I appreciate it, brother. Have a good one. Right. Thanks for having All me right. on, bro. Uh, no problem. All right. All right. That concludes the show for today. Uh, thanks again, Ted, for being on the show. I hope you guys learned something and uh, stay tuned for part two. All right. Take care. And if you'd like to support the show even further, you can go over to our Patreon page, www.patreon forward slash spear factor and donate to the show to keep it going. And I just want to give a big thank you to the sponsors um, of the show, Hot Rod Spear Guns, Chimera Spearfishing, inventors of the side slip, Acaso Cameras, and One Drop Spearfishing. All those guys, uh, thank you so much. And go over to the website, www.spearfactor.com, and check out the deals that they have provided for Spearfactor listeners. Everybody enjoy yourselves and dive safe. Thanks again.